Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Isn't this exciting? All the cars are coloured in and all the sponsors have bellies that are full of champagne and hors d'oeuvres because launch season has finished and we're going to analyze the launches and talk about why you shouldn't analyze the launches there's been lots of excitement and also lots of complaints people think there's too much carbon and not enough paint too much cake and not enough frosting well i'm a cake guy and i think that grid is going to look real fancy just as it is hi i'm your host richard reddy but my friends call me spanners so Let's be friends. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the podcasting shed by Matt. Two rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? 23 minus 19 days to testing. Oh, are we not doing it in sleeps or is that too dad of me? That would be four sleeps to you. Four sleeps till testing. Is it that close? No, it isn't. February 23rd to the 25th. And I do believe today is the 19th unless you're from the future, which I think one of our panelists is. Okay. 85 live streams between now and uh, and the end of testing. Just constantly you and me talking about what we reckon about fuel loads, about tires, who's pushing, who's hiding things. Oh, I saw a slight lift in sector three. That means they're disguising the pace. It's Braun 2009 all over again. They're closing the DRS half a second early to disguise their pace. It's sandbags all the way down. And someone who has been disguising their talent until their TV debut is uh, Jono. Jonathan Simon, how's it going? Yeah, good, good, Spanners. Yes, it's three sleeps for me. I am from the future, as uh, Trump has just alluded to. Yeah, that's you get everything first. I'm always jealous on New Year's Eve that you guys have like got it done and dusted. It's <laughs> over with. You're in bed. Yeah, well, it's never good to finish first, Spanners, but yes, in this case, on New Year's Eve, it might be. And we're joined from the Netherlands by Jules Sagers. How's it going, Jules? 
Good evening, guys. Uh, going really well. And even though a lot of the livery reveals uh, were a bit dull, pretty excited for that preseason testing. I thought you were going to give us your one-liner snappy intro in Dutch. I didn't dare to. <laughs> I always feel uh, very guilty when our European and uh, and outlander friends come and jump on and they have to translate all their thoughts into into English. But I've just found out from you pre-show that we don't think there's a Dutch word for apex and my mind is blown. Correct. I don't believe there is. Uh maybe people in the in the in the chat can prove <laughs> me wrong. I don't think there is. I think the the, the Dutch word for apex is uh, gemiste binnenbocht which translates literally as the missed inner part of the of the turn. So like Dutch racing school, they're sitting there going, okay, kid, so you go on the outside and then you've got to aim for the innermost part of the turn. You, you need to fix that. We need to, by the end of the show, come up for a Dutch sounding word for Apex. And now you understand why Max Verstappen didn't wait around to, to uh, go to Dutch racing school and he moved away to Belgium and cut corners and uh, and get it done with. Oh, contraire. I'm thinking this is why he's so good in those cars. He had to learn to turn the chassis super fast because it took his instructor so long to say the word for apex. <laughs> or maybe he, because we don't have a word, he never learned there was an inner part of the turn. And that's why he always drives the cars next to him. That explains of... Brazil with Hamilton. Exactly. We, or that explains how good he, it. That explains how good he is in the wet <laughs> because he's able to find the grip on that outside line. Uh, guys, uh, the news this week really is all about the launches. There's some other bits and bobs as well. But I think we're going to start with talking about launch season. Big Dirty News. The big news is the cars have launched and I would like to go around my panel and find out who the team, who the panel think did well for their car launches and who perhaps missed the inside part of the corner for their uh, for their launches. But actually, I just want to get Jono's opinion <laughs> on launch season itself. It's it's quite dragged out. There's a, a lot of hype and it, and it's really hit and miss. And I have to admit, I think I only watched one live because I thought let's. I'll see the reaction. If everybody's saying like this is absolute uh, just fodder and, and folly, I'm not going to catch it. If people got excited about the launch, I then went back and caught up on all of it. Yeah, that, that's what I used to do. Now, I've, I've been doing this for at least five, ten years. It's like I'll just wait for the motorsport.com article the next morning just to see all <laughs> yeah. the pictures and all that. I'm like, I don't want to watch an hour and ten minutes of dribble and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the teams that did it well were this year were Ferrari. Like, they were incredible, right? I mean, how often do you get a, a car on track that, that goes so good? But I, I seriously think we should overhaul car launch season like we should run a collective car launch with all the teams there one big event like f1 live every team gets its own 10 minute slot they can all hype it up bring their old car from 30 years ago do some burnouts and you get it you sell out a stadium to a crowd of thirty thousand. man that would be good for a collective car launch that is not a terrible idea and i bet there would be tracks queuing up to be the track that got the honor of doing that yeah so you could have like in american football where you have a big paper thing for cars to to break out of and you do it in championship order so so like red bull come out first start spinning donuts and go yeah here's our car and and then i guess they can immediately go and and do a shakedown lap to to show it off well now straight away you you do what you said but the opposite you do your worst teams first from last year best teams last so you keep all the viewers in for about two hours 20 teams 
what's that? You know, two, two and a half hours, roughly 10 minutes each, not 20 teams. I say 20 teams. I said, ten, I should have said <laughs> 10, 10 teams, teams 20 yeah. drivers, excuse me. Um, and then you get, you know, the same old good old personalities from TV hosting the event. You get interviews going, you get the reserve driver stepping in the 1960 Mercedes, taking it for a spin, <laughs> crowd yelling, cheering, man, what an event that would be. Picture like the Mexico City F1 Grand Prix podium, mm. but as an F1 car launch for all teams um, in nighttime under lights. Wow. You are forgetting about money, of course, because I'm sure money <laughs> Graham want their day in the in the sun, in the limelight, don't they? They don't just like want like Derek from from advertising with a money Graham board walking around in his bikini. Yeah, that would be that. Uh, yeah, that'd be a pretty. That's a that's a weird one there. I wouldn't I don't know how much I would condone that. I don't know why my brain went there. Save me. <laughs> okay, so obviously, yeah, the the, te- the reason the teams want to get out there with their sponsors is, is to have their moment in the limelight and and just create the this this buzz about their own uh, commercial package, mainly the livery, I think, second, and then the rest of it is something that they have to endure. So you know, we, we've got our livery out there, we, we've shown you our sponsors. Now people want to ask you how you think the season is going to go, and you have to lie. Because there's absolutely no point being honest. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It looks a bit of a wreck. I think we're going to be struggling like last season or we have this absolutely nailed on. This is a concept you must absolutely copy. Trumpets. I'm actually starting to fall in love with this idea. Except for, as an American, I'm clearly imagining, first of all, we do it at like Circuit of the Americas with fireworks for each car. You get your, each car gets its 10 minutes of fame announced by like that boxing guy or whoever you show up you show them the pictures (laughs) but what i here's the thing here's the genius of it the car has to drive from the presentation stage down onto the track and complete at least one lap without breaking down (laughs) or they can't start the season or they have to they have to go to this exactly exactly yeah (laughs) you know it's already a competition who can run the fastest lap on the on the demonstration tires who will break down and then you make it just early enough so that you know the teams are going to have to sweat to get all the pieces. <laughs> like, we'll talk about it later, but like Mercedes pretty much look like they duct taped their car together for their actual filming day. I don't know if you caught that or not. So if we could see some really entertaining stuff if we did that. Well, that's where, you know what, like, that's where the rumor came out with Ferrari. Like, did they actually live stream that or was it pre-recorded and they pretended that? Because, like, the thing is, what if the car broke down live stream? Mm. Like, that would be the worst absolute thing for a car launch, which is then that adds to the stakes of this collective car launch. The best thing I love about it is, look, run like a 30-second hype video before every team comes out, fireworks. And I, I wrote about this idea about four years ago, and I got the idea from F1 Texas. It's an American thing with some Liberty Media spice to it. This makes it so much more cooler. I, 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 I love it. But are you saying that you think Ferrari might be the Millie Vanilli of the F1 <laughs> launches this season? We'll see. I love Ferrari. Ferrari have changed it. They finally made me tune into an F1 car launch for once. Hang on, Matt. You just dropped a Millie Vanilli reference to a 20-year-old or whatever Jono is, 18 or something. Millie Vanilli, there was, scandal, there was a scandal. There uh, was a scandal that they were caught miming, you know, back before you know, everyone started doing it on top of the pops. So what you're saying is that some of the teams, their shakedown was pre-recorded and, and wasn't wasn't live. But for having the guts to do that, I don't, I'm not subscribing to that conspiracy for having the guts to do their car launch and then just go straight out on track that day. The winner of car launch season is Ferrari. 
I am down with that. Although the chat has given me an idea. Instead of having the drivers drive the car around, make the team principal do it. And uh, Paddy in the live chat there as well said, if you, if you want fireworks, just get the Alpine power unit fired up. Very naughty. That cannot win power. You, uh, that cannot win comment of the week. How dare you? Anyway, trumpets. Yeah, well, I, I sort of like it. I mean, it sort of fits with the new idea of F1. And I will say, having sort of, you know, been present in our patron chats about the launches, there were definitely some that were better received than others for different reasons. And this would this would be something you could put on F1 TV that Sky could broadcast. It would fit into an evening. And I don't know. I think I think it might be a bit of genius there, Jono. Well done. You know, I think what the the point Jono makes um, it illustrates the the problem with with Formula One and what the teams have uh, concerning who uh, who has their um, how do you say this? Um, who's their priority? Mm. Because it's not the fans and it's not the the, the viewers. It's a marketing uh, event. And they are never going to um, give up uh, a part in the spotlights uh, to just, you know, throw them all in one bowl <laughs> and have them come out one one for one uh, because uh, their sponsors won't be happy with it. Um, probably team principals won't be happy <laughs> with it because, you know, they don't want to share a day with the rest. They want their own day, you know. And I think what the Red Bull one clearly showed opposed to the ferrari one is like everybody went wild when ferrari did it like mm-hmm. i guess we yeah. all want it to be and the, the rebel one shows just how much of a marketing tool it is yeah if you want to say high risk high reward then the the ferrari angle just shows confidence as well in the team so i think i think people would be understanding if you plan that with the confidence that you've got all your systems running, you think the car is going to be going. Obviously, you're not running at to maximum heat. You're not restricting the cooling to the point where it might explode. You're not turning it up to 11. You are you are just putting out a car that can go and do a shakedown. Your general concept is going out there in the Italian air and just cutting shapes, getting some vortices going and going around the track. Same as Mercedes going out with, obviously, a very different kind of scenery you could tell by the wet vortices on the pictures from the w14 that they were filming at some time in england that wasn't specifically july or august but but doing that just shows confidence and i think i think that's the benchmark i think i as fans we should demand and expect in future seasons that we're going to see the launch and then we're going to go and see the car on track so i want to focus on the two teams that did that first i want to Focus on Ferrari because I'm I'm feeling a buzz about Ferrari that I personally haven't felt. I know there's a bit of hype about them every season. I know they kind of they like to they like to show early on. They never seem to sandbag in testing or even during a Friday practice, which is why we kind of we we tend to dampen our expectations of Ferrari. So I'm not really basing it on their on the launch. I'm basing it on the the genuine evolution of Ferrari, not the blip that we saw at the beginning of 2022 where we all got our hopes up and then we had to find a sacrificial lamb for it. No, Bonotto, you gave Ferrari fans hope. Get into the wicker man. You're off in your comfort. I think, Jules, this has been a genuine evolution for Ferrari. And and let, let's take that Bonotto uh, progression from 2019 and the alleged definitely cheating with the fuel stuff 
and just take it for what it is a journey that 2020 allegedly, allegedly 2020 they definitely did it uh, but 2023 the natural progression would be one of of hope they they came into the new regulation set well uh, i i'm sorry i need to maybe <laughs> maybe step on your hope a bit here uh, spencer sorry everyone th- does this it. is this is the team that messed up multiple pit stops last season, multiple strategies, had uh, a number one driver making mistakes. And all that's different to that is a couple of winter months and a proper no. proper car launch. And maybe an article that has arisen this winter, I think in the Gazeta de los Sport, um, where they came up with numbers about how much uh, the power unit would increase on horsepower. But... I don't know, man. I, I think Ferrari will be Ferrari. I do, okay, so I'll counter that with saying that I think a lot of those mistakes came about because they were in a, a situation where they, they really, they they weren't really the title contenders last season that they appeared to be. They were flattered by their traditional strong starting stronger at the beginning of the season than they tend to say develop. And they were flattered by Verstappen having two very early DNFs as well. Suddenly, the Bonotto journey to, hey, come on, this is getting better, turned into, you will win the championship now, sir, and we will expect nothing less. Put them under a lot of pressure, put, put them under a lot of strain. But have we ever seen a team in like recent history that changed team principles, uh, had a new man at the helm, and then immediately go uh, and win the, the World Drivers' Championship? I don't know. Okay, so here's the deal with that. If they win this year, the credit should go to Benotto. It's not Frederick Vassour doing everything in three months to turn this team around. It's the fact that there's this, there's this rumor around that Ferrari have gone for, with the engine freeze, performance and said, let's develop reliability over the next three years. So the theory is that's why they were so quick in qualifying. The potential of that power unit can run over one lap and be the best power unit out there, but they just couldn't do it in race conditions, which is why they had to turn it down, uh, turn the engine down is what I'm saying. And then you've get you got Leclerc sort of pushing over the limit, making mistakes, trying to keep up with Max Verstappen because they can't run the same performance in the race. Now they're improving reliability, which is the rumor. Their dyno testing says, look, the car's getting a little bit more reliable. We're on the right track. That makes for a scary Ferrari, not just this year, but until the end of the engine freeze in 2025. So in my opinion, this is Mattia Bonotto, despite being the chief technical officer and approving a, a alleged power unit that allegedly used too much fuel, has now created a power <laughs> unit who could be, uh, you know, world championship material for the next three years. It could be insane. Oh, see, now I have to... I have to be all jewels. I have to go all Sagazy on you and try and dampen that down a bit. There is, there has, I think, been quite a few occasions where we've heard in F1, the performance is there. It's just the reliability we need to work on. And I wonder how many times we've had a car that looks incredible, but breaks down quite a bit, suddenly turn it around and deliver that consistency as well as the pace. I, I would say one of one or two things, you know, one of two or three things happened. You get um, Hamilton's, mclaren in 2012 where on pace that was a championship winning car i think i i think that perhaps you will have to compromise on performance eventually i'm not an engine engineer compromise on the performance to get that reliability or you keep pushing it and and you keep having your reliability problems 
I, I feel my engineering soul, Jono, feels like it is a it's a dodgy path to go, let's make it perform as well as possible. Don't worry about all the bits flying off everywhere and the amount of times it chugs out. We'll, we'll somehow sort that out. Well, they've developed it to the rule set. And I think if the theory is true and these rumors are true, it's one of the most genius ideas that they've ever ever conjured up Ferrari. You know, they could dominate the next three years. Mercedes have allegedly, again, we've got to be careful these days, have allegedly done the opposite. And they've always been renowned for going for reliability first, which is why they were so good from 2014 with the new era. And the issue with that is they can't really develop the performance. The only changes you can make with the engine freeze era or I say engine freeze era for the yeah, next yeah. three years is is for reliability. So that's where Mercedes could be in, in deep trouble. They're going to have to find aerodynamic performance somehow if they can't improve that power unit. Well, the interesting thing about that is that Mercedes, having been so far ahead in the power unit game in what is what was very clearly a power unit dominated regulation set, mm. um, had way less room to push for power. All the other manufacturers were busy trying to catch up to their level of performance. And yet, even with that, I read an interview with, um, I think it was Howell from, from, uh, from Bricksworth, that, that they still found some reliability issues in their power unit that they would like to correct but that he felt that there was still a fair amount of room for optimization and improvement uh, with the mapping and with the, with the software for Mercedes. Now, I do like your point about Bonato, and yeah. I only want to add to that. Don't forget that the technical directive that came out halfway through the season about the flexible planks really torpedoed Ferrari a lot more than it did Red Bull. That was another player in why they weren't as competitive as they appeared to be early on in the season. Now we have the opposite problem. Can Vasseur extend and develop this car that he's been gifted? And I don't think we're going to see that till once again about halfway through the season. So they could start strong, but if they falter, we all know who we're going to blame for that one. Uh, Bonotto? No. Who, what, who were we? Just Vassour straight away. Vassour. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, blame, always definitely. blame and, the And not the guy. people above him that yeah, did yeah. all this hiring and firing. <laughs> but the the problem I've got, as someone who has traditionally treated Ferrari as, as the enemy, Tafosi, mad respect for you, especially in the last five or so years, I have, like, I've come to appreciate what a good fan base the Ferrari, when you just, when you, when you take away the, the, the muddy cloud of success making me hate you guys so much from like the 90s and early 2000s. Like the Tafosis are a really good fan base and they're very knowledgeable, pretty chill and very accommodating to other fan bases. And I think they're a fan base that is, they wear their support on their chest and they, they say, yes, I am, a, I am a Ferrari fan. And I, I like that. I admire that you can do that. Um, but I've enjoyed hating you in a, in a sporting sense. And I think, John, I think that's valid, isn't it? Like yeah, in, like in uh, cricket with the Aussies. Like, I, I could not hate a cricket team more than the late 90s Australian cricket team. Well, the Ashes are coming up. That's going to be a very interesting year for us. Uh, good old banter <laughs> on Mr. Apex. But yes. yeah, for, I have the same hate for Ferrari too. For some reason, I don't have it anymore. It's almost sympathy yeah, for the it. fan base. Well, I, that, know, that's what I'm wondering. Why, why has it dissipated? I think sympathy, there's a little bit of that from the last few seasons. And I keep empathizing with their false hope. 
But actually, I think it's a bit more than that this season. I think a bit, a bit more this season. I like their personalities. I like the way they're going about things. I like the, the drivers and I like their progression. And I think if, if Mercedes aren't in that top two and it is Red Bull and, Fer- and Ferrari having a fight, I, I think I am going to be actively gunning for, for Ferrari. I'm going to be rooting for Ferrari. I, I think, look, we'll we'll talk preseason testing later, but I seriously think they're going to be the quickest this week. And I think that Leclerc, in my mind, you know, I might be wrong and I'm happy to be wrong, but I think he is favorite for the world championship at the moment. Whoa, that's a big call. That's a big call, Jules. Wow. Didn't even wait to the end of the show to go there. Okay. <laughs> it It is a big call. Um, and let's, I think we, I think we speak for maybe, all of Formula One fans that want to see a title fight more sure. of a title fight than last year. That let's hope Jono is right, but let's hope for Frederick Fazer's um, sake that Jono is right. Because imagine, you know, Ferrari always strikes me as a bit of a I don't know if this is the correct word to use, but as a bit of a partisan team, you know, D- and, divisive, uh, like, like split opinions. Yeah, but also very um, well, you know, Italian rooted. And uh, a lot of people refer to the, the um, uh, what's his name? Jean Todt yes. era with yeah. Rory Byrne and, and, and Ross Braun. And that, the whole core of, that, of the, 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 the principles were um, non-Italian. And yeah. uh, now Fazer is there. And obviously he's not Italian, but he's probably pretty much the only one, you know. Imagine if Ferrari flunk it again. How how much credit does Fazur have before it all starts crumbling down? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's like, seriously, right now, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's more, this is like being up 8-0 in, with like 20 <laughs> minutes to go. And it's like, you somehow managed to lose like 9-8 if they don't win this year or in the next three years. I don't know. Wow, it's, that's it's, a lot of pressure. So you're, they're in you, prime position. They're in prime position to win, in my opinion. So you got okay. So what I'm getting from this is Jono's basically saying it's an open goal for not only Ferrari but Leclerc to win a championship. I'm not saying that. I'm not feeling it's an open goal. And uh, basically, Jules, you're saying they're out of excuses because they can't blame non-Italian staff anymore. It's an Italian team, obviously drivers and principal aside. Uh, where does the blame go if they don't deliver this title? Trumpet. These guys are putting an awful lot of pressure on ferrari all i was saying was kind of hate them a bit less than i i would i can see a situation where i would support them it is funny to think of the oldest team in formula one the team without which technically there might not be a formula one as underdogs and yet (laughs) here we are they have managed somehow to rebrand themselves as not the dominant force in the sport. Now, part of that has been Mercedes' long run. Part of that has been Red Bull's long ish run. But mostly, I, I really think that Ferrari, uh, in the form of Bonato, overhauled a lot of what, what their culture was. And it became a lot more exciting for non Italian, non Ferrari fans. I mean, because I think everyone was a Ferrari fan when they won the world championships. No, I have a theory no, about this. No. You become a fan of whoever's winning when you first start watching Formula uh, One, and then that is who you kind of stick with. Yeah, so, like, maybe, the people who came maybe, over with Raikkonen, maybe, maybe. and yeah. you, you get my point. But those people are, are longer in the tooth than when they first came in, because it's been a while. So people are coming back to Ferrari as, oh, well, they look promising. 
They have young, exciting drivers who make a very good driver pairing, I will admit, and am slightly envious of the science hair situation, mm. and, you know. But but I think they're beginning to attract a different kind of That's fan. interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for people who've been here a while, they are different enough in culture that that what we used to be like, oh, Ferrari, uh, <laughs> it's, it, there's no resistance there anymore when we push. I think what you're saying is, this is not your father's Ferrari. Big Dirty News. Mercedes taught us a lot about why you shouldn't jump to conclusions when you're analysing a Formula One launch. Mercedes launched with... I would say a, a very relaxed sofa type appearance. They had uh, they had presenters from Sky interviewing Toto Wolf and Mick Schumacher front and center. Really, they, they were very keen on showcasing his role in the team, and of course George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. Lots of questions that you would expect. It was in danger at times of turning into a Beyond the Grid episode. While everybody on the live stream was screaming, "Please, sirs." Tell us what colour your car is, and if it could be black, that would perhaps be quite popular amongst this live stream. Eventually, they showed their launch car. Everyone, I think, uh, in the live stream in that chat, uh, delighted, I think, amongst the Mercedes fans, to see a return of uh, the championship-winning livery style, uh, it being a very, very dark car made up of a lot of carbon fibre bare, and the top parts being uh, black, with with only really uh, the odd trim of the Patronus blue and then the Mercedes silver. But I think the most fascinating thing from that launch is the shape of the car. Apart from the livery, people were really, really looking out to see would they stay with the zero side pod concept with with nothing there on the sides. And me and Jules have, have, have argued about whether they gave away that they were moving away from the zero pod concept. And it wasn't quite clear from the launch car that they showed. It seemed to show a, a slightly more substantial bulge behind the main air inlet. Perhaps it was a 0.5 side pod. Jules and I will argue about this in a moment. But then the most interesting thing was when they went on track, that wasn't the shape of the car at all. Which, which just goes to kind of prove a point that we've been talking about here on the pod is that when they show these renders or a, a launch car like Aston Martin did and it's just sitting there, that doesn't necessarily dictate what you're going to see. You're not going to see big razor dramatic strikes into the floor because they are just showing a, they're not showing their, their secrets there for the presentation for the sponsors. It's about the sponsors. So all that tech analysis about all the, the, the pokey roundy things and the Y2K Jimmy Jabba, Matt is, is, is kind of meaningless. And Mercedes showed us in real time, Hey, here's our car. Analyze this for 30 seconds before we show you something completely different. Well, and this is why it's always good to wait until you see pictures from the track, because usually the teams will do either a demonstration or a filming day. And then you're going to be seeing a lot more of what you would expect to be getting a testing, which leads me to my first rule improvement for Jono's big bonanza of fresh livery cars which is the first day of testing has to be with the car the exact car you drive around the track when you reveal it <laughs> it's but the thing is like how would you know that is it, how would you regulate that would you go well if the car looks 
one percent different is it not the same car it becomes a, it becomes hard i wish we could do that it's a bit hard to do oh, it's easy because they have cad files that go to the fia <laughs> and scrutineering's done with a laser scanner so yeah i get the cad file i run it through the laser scanner and then i check it again before it goes out on track at bahrain so whilst i maintain that you should never sit and read too much into the cars you see right at the beginning of the season pre-testing Let's sit and analyse what we think about the the shape of that Mercedes car, but mostly because of the argument me and Jules were having, which is I think Mercedes told us in press interviews, they, they told us that we saw where it went wrong and it was before we went down the zero side pod and they have turned up with, I think, a little bit more of a side pod, which Matt, I'll give Matt credit for, thinks that that is because it's, you know, just going to support the floor a little bit more, help with the porpoising or something, something, something I don't really listen to. But when they went out on track, they had this a pretty unique bulge coming out from the halo. And it was like an up pod. It's not a side pod. It was like they had two top pods. So I think that means I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> I don't remember you using the word top pod. Yeah, no, I did. If you roll back the tape, I clearly said right. they're going to go for yeah. top pods, guys. I'm all they, over this. They, they look like like two cannons on either yeah. side of uh, that that could have confetti going out once they passed the checkered flag for a first win. But yeah, I think, I think I was right. Um, it looks like they stood by their philosophy. Um, I think what, what two things could have happened, they stick to their philosophy or they move towards what apparently is a winning car, which would be something like what, what, what Red Bull uh, were doing. Uh, and I think uh, call it a, a 0.5 side pod uh, or whatever, but I think they 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 stuck to the plan and um, they sound pretty confident. I thought uh, about uh, where this is going. So I just got to say, I've been saying 0.5 pods for a while has been the way they're going to go, and for the reasons mainly, I think that spanners elucidated which is that it gives them a greater control over the flexibility of the floor i don't know if you remember there was a great shot of a broken red bull side pod and inside of it you could see floor stays and supports that mercedes absolutely couldn't run last season and i think there was some learning there what's interesting to me is if you look at mercedes they have like that interesting uh what would you call them side rolls that seem to be channeling air right down the center line, which I'm understanding is bossy air mainly from the halo. Well, if you look at the Aston Martin, they have those wild water slides that appear to be doing the same <laughs> thing. If you look at the Alpine, they too have a similar kind of concept. And so I'm, I'm beginning to think that the aerodynamicists have, have sort of found something, at least at those three teams, that they think will improve the dragginess of their car and the performance of their car at no cost. And and Mercedes has gone this way, but I agree with Jules. Aww. They have stuck with the basic concept of this car. They haven't gone to Red Bull style downwash. They haven't gone to Ferrari style inwash. Wait, wait. Yeah. Look, the Jules is claiming victory here. The patron live stream is saying as well, like, I should stop being a sore loser. Jules was right. Everyone's agreeing with Jules. And they said the only way that I can be right is if any bulge is defined as a as a pod. So from now on, any bulge is, is, uh, is defined as a pod, Jules. 
That's that's a great FIA way of <laughs> of of twerking the rules yeah, 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 later yeah, on. Yeah. But you know, despite I'm being right and Matt backing me <laughs> and like magnificently you did handsome, yes, yes, yes. Um, question is, do Mercedes fans have to be happy about this or not? Because um, a uh, the car last year was assumed to be so draggy that they lost so much uh, straight line speed, and if they stuck like from what we can tell, aerodynamically with what they were doing, did they solve enough of the dragginess this way by sticking to that philosophy? Mm. On the other hand, uh, last year already and during last season, Mercedes pointed out that most of their changes and most of the problems were not um, uh, were uh, beneath the, the bodywork. So it's not what we could see. So maybe it doesn't, maybe they're just playing, maybe, maybe they uh, uh, show up in Melbourne without the two confetti cannons and they look <laughs> totally different again. So we know that uh, there's already been talk about this changing for Mercedes. If you take a careful look at the photos from the track, you'll notice how many, how modular those side pods are. And if you took a really careful look, you'll see that I was not joking about them duct taping their car together hmm. for the first day's run, which ended in failure. I do need to point that out. It was supposed to be a filming day, and they declared it a demonstration day after they couldn't get the car to run because they had an engine misfire. Um, so there are some questions about Mercedes here that they don't normally have now. I'm sure Spanners wants me to go on for about 15 minutes about my personal take on this. I do. But no. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the TLDR. I think that they know what the next big step in the evolution of this design is, but they were afraid to start with that in case they got it wrong after last season. So expect by race three or four to see a significantly different design if the testing proves their fundamental aero concept to be sound. It doesn't matter. That thing is bouncing. The porpoising is back. We saw over zero seconds of evidence from, <laughs> and uh, I never like to speak bad of our panel, but within our group, we did have a bit of fun uh, with Bradley Philpot, who just posted an observation saying, uh-oh, with a one-second clip of Lewis Hamilton bouncing in the car down the Wellington Strait. And we had a fantastic debate uh, in our WhatsApp chat about whether you know, this was indeed porpoising or, or simply a bounce. And I, and I think there was later evidence that showed a longer clip of him going down the Wellington Strait, which looked pretty smooth. Looks like he hit a bump and, uh, and, then, and then was just you know, a little bit of oscillation as that settled down. But that scared the Mercedes fan base. It was retweeted by Karun Chanduk. It was retweeted by uh, F1 broadcasters. And it exploded. It just shows, Jono, that the Mercedes fans and F1 is holding their breath to see, is is that Mercedes going to be porpoising? Have they solved that big 22 problem? Yeah, that's media. I mean, that's hype. The pressure is always going to be on Mercedes, who were the headline team for porpoising last year with their issues. So I, I saw races towards the end of last year with the Red Bull and, uh, and the Ferrari bouncing aggressively. And I was like, Oh, they're still pretty quick. So mm. it, it's you still see cars porpoising every now and then. But I think anytime it happens to the Mercedes, it's going to be like, "Whoa, this is the end," you know. <laughs> so it's it's typical for them. This is this is end times. And if you don't want to see the end times of Missed Apex podcast, why not consider helping us uh, this season by going along to Patreon.com 
forward slash missed apex see if you can get an ad free audio feed or get access to the extra more casual content we do throughout the season which will be kicking off this week there will be a, a patron pod featuring me and matt roughly 30 percent f1 content if that it's worse content uh, but it will be included plus we have a fantastic community forum using the app slack uh, where where me and matt hang out all the time and, and chat and stuff uh, but mainly i believe that you should support independent podcasts if you don't want to see the whole of apple itunes and spotify filled with corporate podcasts the only way to do that is to support support independent podcasts and, and patreon provides a fantastic platform for that so i say support any podcast it doesn't have to be us on patreon but if you do patreon.com forward slash missed apex there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let us head over to France. And witness the French Revolution happening in Formula One. Yes, the French Renault slash Alpine team being headed up by two young superstar drivers. Gasly and, Al and, uh, and Ocon will line up for Alpine in 2023. But will they have the car underneath them to justify the red hot volcanic battle that's going to be going on in the paddock? It would appear to be that way, at least if we're to believe our friend Esteban, who said that the car was made last year's car look like a toy after he finished his 50 kilometers or so of driving it around a track. Uh, but more importantly, if we are to believe the technical director, I think I'm, I'm, I'm exceedingly intrigued by their car. They've redesigned the entire rear end. They've gone to pushrod suspicion suspension they've saved a lot of weight they've saved so much weight they were perfectly happy to have the 796 kilogram weight limit instead of the 798 that we get and i'll remind you that matters 
Okay. Because ballast can be moved around the car to make it more drivable for the drivers. And then when um, uh, Matt Harmon, who was a technical director, was speaking about their filming day, he said it went off so flawlessly that we spent most of our time just making changes for the drivers. We didn't have to worry at all about whether or not the car could get around the track, which possibly was some shade being thrown other directions. I don't know which ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did, did they show that, though? Did we see the, the Alpine shakedown was at Silverstone? I know there was some Instagram yeah. footage from someone called Connor, I forget, who just happened to be staying in the hotel. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could just stay in a hotel in Silverstone around testing time. I'm gonna I'm gonna book that up for 2024, uh, but they didn't do like a whole you know thing like Ferrari and uh, and 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 Mercedes though. No, their filming day was separate from. And in fact, you know, if if you're going to be annoying about the the launch, they talked about some really interesting initiatives they were doing. Go ahead. Um, with um, uh, they've added Abby Pulling to their driver academy along with Sophia Flourish who will be racing in F3. Sophia will, and Abby will be doing the F4 support series that formula one is doing now okay uh, for women only yes but interestingly they've also gone and found six young mm. uh, girl carters ages 10 to 13 and they will be supporting them and they will have access to alpine's human performance academy and they will have representation i think from the same group that represented uh lando norris when he was a carter so i'm, I'm actually kind of excited mm. about that about 10 years from now to see see where that leads to oh hang on we don't have to wait uh, 10 years though i mean sophie florsch sorry for pronunciation is that close enough mm-hmm. um he's you know he's a talented driver probably more, unfortunately the big highlight was going very high at macau and basically yeah. flying in, off track and crashing into a building I, I think even like the first story of a building but she is a, a genuinely you know talented driver in single seaters and uh abby pulling was a is a w series driver as w well. series so, yeah. driver and yeah. she's doing the f1 series but i meant that um we have talked about this that karting is where it all starts and one of the hardest thing for girls in karting is getting the same level of sponsorship and attention that boys get and alpine is taking carters at the correct age and giving them that so i'm i'm it's only six should be like 60 or 600 or 6,000 to catch up if you, if, because we talk about the numbers game too. Yeah. But, um, they're showing a real sort of, I, I like their approach to this and they're showing, um, they're putting their money where mm. F1's mouth is a bit. If you catch my drift. Well, that seems nice. And to me, maybe it shouldn't be and maybe i'm soft in my old age or or liberal and woke or whatever whatever insults get flung around these days but it seems like a nice thing to do and to me that shows caring and it shows a a big picture philosophy outside of just the immediate concerns of the formula one team so for me that is a that's something that pulls me slightly closer to going ah those alpine fellas they're not so bad but i tell you what jono they are not a team I love. Like I, since they returned properly as the Renault outfit, mostly <laughs> led by a beatable, I don't think I've had a single season where I where I've wished them well. 
<laughs> they've had a, they've had an interesting one. I like what they're doing there with the junior talent. You know, yeah. you just need one one female to break out to inspire the next generation. Look what Danica Patrick did in IndyCar. You know, she managed to win a race. She managed to do so well. So you want that for the, for these next young girls coming in. But again, it's unfortunate. It's Alpine. You're right. It's not a team that even <laughs> myself. They've had this sense of rivalry. But you know what? I think now with Fernando Alonso yeah. gone, oh, this could be yeah. one of the most exciting, Wait. exciting teams to watch. So you got two yeah. French young guns. Well, I say yeah. young guns. I'm getting yeah, old yeah, now. Yeah, medium, guess, medium guns. Medium guns. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So that could be an interesting rivalry, or it could be some bro- uh, sort of brewing bromance that's coming along between those two and re- revitalizing that relationship it's a it's an interesting year for them it's a weird dichotomy you've put there which is i would consider myself a fernando alonso fan yet i will like renault or sorry alpine more now that alonso has moved on and has been replaced with gasly and i i can't explain that i can't explain how i am both a fan of fernando alonso but find alpine more likable now he's not there well, I think because now all those comments about like, for example, like that comment we talked about, we talked about it last pod, but it was like, oh, Lance Stroll's world championship material. Oh well, he goodness. knows he's going to wipe the floor with Stroll. So it's like, well, why don't I say he's a world champion to make me look better? You're not going to get that anymore from Alpine. You're going to get two two very quick French drivers battling for points. There's going to be a bromance, but it could be a frenemy relationship. Yeah. The team is, is, it's a works teams too. That's what we're forgetting. And I think the thing with them is, since 2016, since Renault's poured in more money, they've committed to F1, they're trying to turn this team around. People actually kind of underrate the disappointment that they, they've kind of been. You know, no, they I should don't. be a lot My better goodness. than they've actually been goodness, performing. No. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know they, how they haven't won more races. You know, they need to pour more money into that operation and, and figure it out. Well, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, which is I don't think that the mothership of, you know, that group of, of most motor car manufacturers was ever fully on board. I, I feel like a beatable and his, his crew, Matt, were was sitting there kind of going, well, oh, in two years. No, 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 now in five years. And then it never... I kind of think Abitable sold them a slate, sold them a bridge, a Formula One bridge. <laughs> and the reality is where they were with the resources they had. They had spent more than a decade, that team, being nowhere near the front. Yes, I know they were near the front um, in 2013-14-ish. Sort of. But when, 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 yeah, yeah, they they had a couple of good years when they were the only team, and I will point this out, they were the only team that tested tires for Pirelli. As soon as all the teams started testing tires <laughs> for Pirelli, suddenly they were nowhere and they suffered from a lack of investment. And you just don't recoup that in one year or two years or even five years. I feel like where they are now is a lot more realistic from the Renault point of view, which is they said, our goal is to try and claw back some of the gap between where we finished in fourth and the third place team. They want, they want to improve on their performance last season, and they want to use all of the tools they have to their advantage to do that. That's, that's a much more realistic goal. And I think, I think the Renault parentship will be happy with that because their name isn't on it directly. Yeah. Um, and, and so that makes it a bit more palatable, but they still gain the marketing when they do do well, and they will do well. They, they are a good team, and I think they've designed a good car, and the weight thing is very intriguing, because I think that's the big advantage that Alfa Romeo had last season, 
at the start. Remember when they did so well? They were the only team on the weight number at the start of the season. And so I think I think if um, Alpine was overweight as it was, and they are now underweight, I think they've bought themselves a lot of performance. Jules. Yeah, I think Alpine will be probably one of the, the, the team's most excited uh, entering the testing uh, the testing days because I think having Alonso there, it's no secret that he can be a bit of a divisive persona. And I think now they have a driver pairing to really get behind. And I'm really curious if um, with with this package they they can form like a, 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 a one one team, like like one. Um, how do I say this? Like all get behind one goal and go for it instead of you know trying to 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 please one and trying not to make Ocon explode, etc. I, I am going to, when Jules says uh, divisive person, he seems like a bit of a, I'm just going to beep everything after that to make it sound, uh, to sound it much. <laughs> but no, I, I see exactly what you're, what you're saying there. Um, Jono, are you trying to get in, mate? Sorry, we just lost you a little bit on the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it all sorted now. But the, the thing with them is, I think since the Renault has sort of come back and committed finances to that car, I think they finished fourth behind the big three, which is, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull. They finished fourth two years of the, of however many seasons it's been, six, I think, or seven. Now, that's very disappointing. And even last year, I don't even consider that fourth. I consider that McLaren had one driver in Lando Norris, and Ricardo was very, very disappointing. Like, you put any other, like, just a... a a little bit of a better driver in that McLaren seat, they get fourth over Alpine. So they got to figure it out for a works team now in a budget cap era. It's going to be amplified even worse. These bottom teams are going to start catching up to you and you're going to look as worse because you can't pour in as, as much money, you know, into things as, as you wanted to. So they, they have to figure out the, the situation there. And uh, I had some stock bought into them, if you could buy stock, philosophical stock <laughs> back in 2016 when Hulkenberg signed for them. And I'm like, why would you move from Force India at the time, who were a top midfield team, to Renault, who were struggling? And I was like, oh, they might be really good here for the next few years. Daniel Ricciardo, what a pickup. <laughs> and then I realized, well, now I've, I've sold that stock many, many years ago, and I don't know if I'll ever buy back. And they invested heavily in Ricciardo as well. Wasn't it $40 million was the, the rumored price well, of his contract? And that was, that was get a big name in, show ambition, show Renault, the, the company, that we are really super serious about this. Well, well, are they? they? I think the good thing they're doing is this rebrand for their sports car company and everything they're doing. But if you want it to be better, if you want better marketing, start winning races, start getting consistently on the podium, start doing stuff like that. I, but they've won a race. They were on the podium. They, they, they are the, are the you know, aside I'm from not McLaren, they're the only... Ocon fought like a lion. Um, what are you on about not by merit? Come on. How are, how are you saying Bottas, that wasn't by merit? He how are you off, saying that wasn't? He fought off a four-time world mean, champion, Please Jono. explain. Show your work. It, well, Bottas bowled out the entire field <laughs> into turn one, so that, yeah. that's probably contributed to okay. it. Ocon drove well, superbly. I'm not going to count him out, but same with Gasly's win. Terrific win, but down to luck. I think we don't talk about enough. Maybe, like, maybe once a show, we should just play a clip of Bottas just skittling the entire front row because it was a thing of beauty you yes, have to I go back admit. to grosjean 2013 in spa was it 2013 oh, in spa? Yeah. 2012 2012 <laughs> you have to go back to that to find like a uh, a bigger lap one turn one uh, snafu 
<laughs> okay, I think that just about concludes Alpine. Uh, let's uh, have a bit of a quicker look further down the grid. Jono touched on McLaren. Of course, it's going to be Lando Norris versus Piastri. And I say versus, I know they're teammates, but I think these are two drivers who have quite a lot at stake. Lando, Lando Norris's reputation at the moment outstrips his career because everyone else in his big crop has had that that opportunity up at the front, has had the chance to fight Verstappen, Albon, uh, Russell. They've all been up there fighting. His teammate signed is there fighting for, for wins and could potentially have a championship winning car of that crop, of that great, talented F2 crop that George Russell won the championship from. Lando Norris is the one that is the only one not to have won a race, I believe, out of all that lot. And the only one that you can say hasn't had a legitimate chance in a top team to really show what, what he can do. Now, right now, he looks like a legend. He vanquished Ricardo. There's a lot on the line. If Piastri is looking good against him, that is going to diminish his stock if we look mid-season and, and Piastri is making him look beatable. He has an absolute opportunity, though, to crush yet another teammate and look like an F1 god in the, in the making. And in fact, if he goes and just crushes Piastri this season and next and doesn't get a top drive, will we be able to look at F1 history over the last 20, 30 years and say, is there a driver that was in F1 for so long without ever really getting a chance to show what they could do despite delivering? It's an interesting one for Lando Norris, and this is the next step on his legacy. Piastri has an absolute David and Goliath opportunity. He has just got to play nice, swing that slingshot around his head, and he could bring down a giant. Which way is it going to go, Jules? What are you thinking? I must say I worry a bit for McLaren. They um they have uh Bar Williams and Alfatari, uh the most inexperienced driver lineup of uh of the field. Uh Lando Norris yeah. uh, is still to to get uh, uh, his uh, his 100th start. Um so if the car didn't improve the way he said uh, the car needed to improve uh, at their launch because he said they uh, they uh, were uh, uh, pushing a lot of buttons to to uh, fix the 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 faults uh, they had in their uh, in their design. They were pretty elementary faults, uh, as uh, as as he said. And if they did not manage to do that, and the car is tricky as what as it was last year, and you have Piastri. As an as as a debutant, I fear for them. They could be in you know Aston Martin and uh, Alfa Romeo land, you know, struggling to impress. Yeah, and and look, part of that as well. I like how Spanners you, you spun that as well because I always thought it was pressure on on Piastri, but now the way I think about yeah. it, I go, what if there is what <laughs> if there is a chance that Piastri's as as good as you know, I I think he's a quality junior talent, you know. And I'm not just saying everyone's going to go, oh, you're Australian and blah blah blah. It's like no no no. It's obvious he's a quality, you know, junior talent himself. But then to chuck him in the McLaren, I would have rather have, have, have put him in his rookie season in the Alpine. But we'll see how that goes for Mark Webber and and, and Oscar and and figuring that out. But um, I know there that that's Norris's best chance. And I said this in the season review pod. I said, look, Norris's best chance was to. 
um, to, to win a championship with McLaren. You don't want to go to a top team. You want to make your own team and be a number one. And he's got to try and uh, figure out how it works. But I know Trumpets, obviously, there's some fundamental issues with that team over the last few years as well. Uh, Jules, jump in quickly, then we'll get we'll get to Matt. I know he's got a longer point. So, Jules, get get a word in edgeways because I saw Trumpets do a deep breath. Like, <gasps> he's going to be there a while. <laughs> you know, like Chano says, there's a lot of expectation on Piastri, but it's, he's yet to make his, his race debut. And, you know, we all know how, how difficult a car the McLaren was last year. I mean, Ricciardo didn't manage to drive it at all. And even Norris, he had his ups and down weekend. So if, if they don't nail it, I, I, I fear all the work that's gone into the team the last couple of years to get back to where they kind of belong, they might go down the drain. Well, I think the quote you were looking for, Jules, was from Norris and said, I believe for us to start taking the biggest steps, we needed to try and change some more fundamental things. Some things that I think as a team we've struggled with for the past three or four years that I've been part of McLaren. And who is not there now? Andrea Seidel. Will they be able to fix these problems? I don't know. And if you look at how much Ricardo struggled with that car, to the bafflement of both him and the team, because I'm going to fair play to, I think both of them made a real effort. Because why would they not, given the battle they were having with Alpine? Both of them made a real effort to make that car drivable for him. They could not do it. So you have a car that Norris has learned how to drive from being a baby and can extract every last bit of performance from. You have uh, McLaren with really good strategy most of the time, putting him on maximum points. But if I'm Piastri, as good as I am, I am a little worried about getting a car that's going to be super funky to drive at a team that, okay, I'm going to be polite, doesn't have the best reputation when it comes to brand new drivers. Well, except for 2007 with Lewis Hamilton, but that's going way, way far back of the archives. What's making it worse and where I agree with Trumpets is like the lack of testing now. Got, what, three days, four days of preseason testing, not even, and Piastri's not even going to be in the car for every day. We saw what happened last year with Sebastian Vettel. He had COVID, he missed a couple rounds, struggled throughout testing, and it took him like three, four rounds to just look competitive. And then he came out with some brilliance after that, you know, Sebastian Vettel. And Piastri is a rookie, and we saw a lot of the rookies struggling last year, a lot of the new drivers who went to new teams struggling. And that's where Piastri, look, maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt for the first few rounds because it's Norris is by far the favorite for the first few rounds to, to take care of him, but it's towards the end of the year. Where's the improvement Oscar shows? I think that's where you could start to make a fair comparison. Matt, I think uh, we covered the, the Red Bull launch last season, uh, last week, uh, the Aston, no. Yeah, you mean last year's car in New York with the yeah. livery and then basically no pictures from them yeah. driving on yeah. track and so nobody knows really anything about what they're up to. Yeah, and also yeah, that's pretty much it. They're the they're the champs, you know, so they're everyone yeah. the expectation on them is to kind of roll out much as before. They've got a good philosophy, they've got a proven driver lineup, they've got a proven champion. They just have to roll out the blocks and it's everyone else's problem to catch them. So in a way, there's, exactly. there's kind of less intrigue about the Red Bull package than, than the contenders. Yeah, the, only, the only intriguing thing is their cooling. They're one of the only teams to still do air-to-air cooling. And um, uh, Craig Scarborough, Scarbs on Twitter had a tweet suggesting that, you know, maybe 
they might have changed that. But then I've seen other sources say that because of their power unit design, they couldn't. So I don't know the reality of it. But as I said, 23 minus 19 days to testing, we will probably find out for reals. But, okay, so there's a, out of the, the, the would-be teams that we're looking to step forward, right, there is every chance that McLaren, Alpine, and Aston Martin come out of the blocks and remain very, very midfield. The chances of one of them yeah. really striking forward and, and breaking into the top three which would be sensational, is low. The yeah. chances of the two contenders from last season, the, 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 the wannabes from last season, Mercedes and Ferrari, taking a step up and being championship contenders is slightly higher, but it's still kind of, well, it's less than a coin flip whether Mercedes and Ferrari will overcome the problems they had from last season. With Red Bull, though, Matt, if you're looking to go, well, which way will it go? The overwhelming bet, the overwhelming odds bet that you'd make is that they will come out at least as competitive as they were last season. They aren't going to fluff from here in an evolution. It's very unlikely they will have gone, do you know what, last season's car was great. What we've decided to do is is add three extra wheels and see how that goes. There's not that level of kind of drop-off going to come from Red Bull. Well, ask Tyrrell. It might actually go better <laughs> for you. Um, no, I'm going to say that, you know, Red Bull could basically show up with last season's end-of-season car and probably be competitive for wins at the start of the season based on that. Ferrari is was is the closest to them, I think, overall, if they've sorted their power unit issues. And they are the ones who will make a... Um, they're the ones who will make a contest out of it. Mercedes was behind. They will be hoping to be closer and competitive for wins in more races than last season at the start of the season. Alpine wants to close the gap to whoever's third. They might be able to do that over the course of a whole season. Their development last year was pretty spectacular, and they made it clear they expect to have to repeat that performance in order to stay where they were. But it's hard. Because each season, all the teams add performance. Yeah. They get faster. They get better. They improve their design. So if you were behind last season, you have to match your yeah. competitor's improvement and then do more than. Do you remember? And that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Do you remember 2014 when Mercedes got out of the blocks and then all the teams looked at what Mercedes were doing? And then in 2015, we're still nowhere near. And then two years later in 2016, we're still nowhere near. And then one team had a blip of a slight challenge for a couple of years, uh, but didn't get close enough. Then allegedly cheated, pushed the regulations and got completely nerfed, allowing Mercedes to then win in 2020, nearly unchallenged as well. So do you know what I mean? Like Mercedes, uh, Red Bull have got to be careful because if they take their eye off the ball in four or five years, someone could sneak up in there and, exactly. and, and really get them. No, I, I, if you were a Red Bull fan right now, I'd be pretty confident that you're going to come out of the gate uh, swinging. And if you're a Verstappen fan, you're going to come out of the gate pretty confident that he's going to... Uh, still be on top of, of Sergio Perez. And uh, and I think your countryman, uh, Jules, will be reasonably satisfied with, with that. I certainly expect they're going to come out of the blocks. Out of the first five or six races, there's going to be three or four Verstappen wins. Yeah, I expect so too. There's no real reason to think otherwise. Um, I think last season they proved to pretty much have, have no weak spots after they uh, they turned their car on after after a couple of races. 
And I think uh, as far as Max Verstappen goes, um, he doesn't seem to have any any flaws despite maybe driver ethics. Let's not go there, but... (laughs) You know, there, there's been a couple of moments in his in his career where we said like, yeah, but uh, can he can he win races if he's in a title battle instead of uh, like every race win is uh, is is a nice uh, bonus, and then Red Bull became title contenders and he won races then and and then we went like, can he can he stay mentally stable when he's in an actual title fight and he did. And then we went from, well, will he be motivated uh, after winning his first <laughs> yeah. WDC? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can he go for second? Mm. And then he did that yeah. in an absolute flawless manner. So he, the, the man is a machine. And if Red Bull provide him, we know it's going to be very, very difficult for, uh, for the others. What, what about that one time in Hungary where he made a slight error, but was so far ahead that it didn't matter? What about that, Jules? How about that for a chink in the armor? Yeah. Okay. That that <laughs> may be something to uh, to cling on to. Uh, but yes, uh, he's certainly he's got an opportunity that not every Formula One driver has, which is to build a real legacy to put himself in the history book. So you know, Verstappen's name is is already well up there, but it could easily, it could easily, it could very conceivably now join Senna, Prost, Fangio, Hamilton, Schumacher. Like that is that's a very distinct possibility now. He could, and I think maybe if he drives like he did last season, it will elevate him, his name, uh, the way he's perceived yeah. by a, a certain part of the F1 fan base to a, a, another level. And he would do himself a big favor, I think. Oh, if, I if, see. If so if he drove how he drove, drives against Leclerc and perhaps not how he did against Hamilton, if there's another three or four titles that are won, uh, with a a different racing style, he's a bit uh, calmer, more mature with his his responses, and the 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 press side of that to kind of win hearts and minds. Not that he has to win hearts and minds, but I think yeah, you're right. If if he won hearts and minds driving on and off track, and and, and another three titles, that legacy will also it will be a lot warmer to a, a wider fan base. Perhaps. Yeah, because I think he he was he was a uh, much better received last season yeah. for his, his his driving against Leclerc. The only thing that I'm curious about um, when it comes to Red Bull is you remember Perez, Sergio Perez. Uh, he had a, a couple of remarks a couple of weeks back where he kind of stated like, "Yeah, I'm I'm gonna uh, go and and try and uh, go for the title as well," and Everybody went a bit like, oh, yeah, okay. And, but it made me think about, you know, the dynamic between them uh, from <laughs> Brazil on, yeah. where it became so clear from both of them how they really felt about each other. Mm. So imagine if it's true that Perez managed somehow to get this car a bit more built towards his, his preferences. Maybe. Oh. What would happen within that team if, if he could really start laying it into laying it to, uh, to Verstappen? I'm a, I, I, I'm a Perez fan. I am a Perez fan, but I will say <laughs> there's big echoes here towards what, what Bottas was, was doing and his approach to new seasons, Bottas was always there like, yeah, I'm here to win. And he's a great driver. And I think Perez is a great driver. It's that's That wasn't the environment for him to beat Hamilton. I don't think this is in the environment for him to beat Perez. That's uh, for him to beat Verstappen. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. 
But I would say right now, if Red Bull went 75% of the way to where Perez wanted it, I think Verstappen would still spank him. (laughs) (laughs) He benefited massively from the fact Red Bull was so far over the weight limit. They could not get that car to drive the way they anticipated early season. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they solved that weight problem, Verstappen was just gone. Perez could not touch him. And I think that unless they have another weight problem, which if anything, if, if the cooling thing plays out, if anything, it's going to just go more and more mm. in Max's favor. Yeah, no, I agree. The lighter the car is, the more ballast they have, the more, I mean, they can make it better for Perez to drive, but I think Perez at his maximum does not beat Verstappen at his maximum, and it just gives him more flexibility to get more points off the other competitors. What's that sound I can hear? Oh, it's YouTube comments uh, manifesting themselves. When I talk about the approach Verstappen takes and winning hearts and minds, we had exactly the same thing with Lewis Hamilton after his first world championship. And then he went on a four year campaign to hit as many Felipe Massas as he could. And he was <laughs> very aggressive and very snarky and very cocky in uh, interviews. And and it was him against the world. And he, you know, he was back against the wall. Um, he, he would accuse the, the stewards of targeting him which I, I think I, there was one season where I definitely got that feeling as well. But also he was getting himself into those situations. He was really aggressive. And as a, as a Hamilton fan, I kind of feel, I feel when I, there's anti-Hamilton comments on social media, a lot of these are directed at the 2009 Hamilton. And I kind of want to, I want to say to everyone, look at his record on the radio. Look how calmly he responds to things he's not happy with. And he's still like, he'll, he'll go on the team radio and go, Hey guys, I'm not sure that was like an optimal situation. And there'll be headlines. Hamilton loses his <laughs> rag in Monaco. But I still feel there's an echo of when he kind of got people's backs up early on in his his career. Uh, but, and I think that's probably similar the other way around. So I'm not sitting here saying that Verstappen is particularly different for a young, talented world champion. We have definitely seen this before. It would be very interesting to see if he, you know, mellows into the vision that Jules Sager's laid out. Let's talk engines. We have actually, we've, we've gone on quite a bit. The show has gone on quite longer, but I want to get two topics in. I want to quickly talk about the amount of teams in Formula One, but I also want to talk to Jonathan Simon, who you can follow by searching for Johnny S. Trigger Nitro on Twitter. What is your... No, that's just because of the shirt today. It's, it's not yeah, quite G.I. Joe. you've got Joe, like a like G.I. Joe. You've got a gold <laughs> chain. Why have you hidden the gold chain? Get it out. Come on. If that's your personality. Oh, yeah, get the swagger out. Yeah, why not? If that's not, your you personality, know? you earn that bling. So, yeah. Yeah, Hamilton's inspired me a little yeah. bit for this podcast. He likes some jewelry. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I wish I was wearing three watches <laughs> like him or whatever he wore at that press conference <laughs> last year. <laughs> so where can we follow um, you online? Even you don't want to tell us your Twitter handle. It's that it's bad. It's a, I'm going to make... I'm going to pressure you into changing it i i i'm not going to get too personal but i have a to-do list and for six months the the thing i haven't deleted has changed has been changed my social handles (laughs) which i just can't find any other good one because everyone's taken every iteration of my name we'll make it johnny s8 johnny s8 we'll make it easy don't listen to what john is about to say it's a waste of time there's going to be a link in the show yeah link in the show notes below you just click that and you find uh jono's social media jono you are doing amazing things i have loved seeing you on australian television 
doing that whole journalist thing. We are here with a gang of 17 kangaroos fighting 14 (laughs) frogs. It's really close. And I just don't know how this is going to turn out. Back to the studio. And you're great at it. You really are born to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm up in Cairns. I've had to move to the complete other side of the country. Don't worry. I'll be back for Melbourne for the Grand Prix. I'm flying back, back home, which will be nice. Um, but yeah, doing sports reporting with uh, with a company called Seven News. It's like the most watched news in Australia, so it's pretty good. Nice Covering the Cairns Taipans, a lot of basketball. Uh, <laughs> they just lost yesterday, so their season's over. But um, yeah, it's been good fun so far. Um, but, you know, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I miss Melbourne. Can't wait to go back. Well, we're running out of time, Jono, so I want you to make this a quickie. Tell us about Fuel. Yeah, so there were, look, there was a topic that came out about um sort of F1's sustainable fuel challenge. And it's an interesting, very, very interesting topic because the world is going in one direction where they're banning petrol and diesel cars and Formula One and, and particularly Stefano Domenicali has said, look, we're not going to virtue signal for the sake of virtue signaling by going electric just to please everybody. We're going to go in the sustainable fuel direction. But I think, you know, I don't see F1 going electric before 2030 and for them to commit to this sustainable fuel battle and how it's a it's a big challenge. Then at the end of the day, how do you actually make this sort of sustainable for society? Because it, it, it opens up a broader topic of F1's always sort of innovated for, for cars 10 years before things end up on cars, on, on road vehicles. Now, if you're going for sustainable fuels and it's 2030, a lot of cars by 2035 will not be running sustainable fuels, especially in the EU, as far as I'm aware. And a few other countries have banned them later. So, oh, that's me without a breath trying to explain that whole topic. It's, it's a, yeah, un- unravel that ball of string trumpets because that's, that's a tough one. Well, it is a tough one. But what you need to understand is that F1 is only part of the FIA's overall strategy here. And what you look at is what is, what is the average shelf life of a car? I mean, you know, my last car I had for 20 plus years. So 20 years from now, that's what? 2043. You're going to have plenty of cars running on petrol, gas for us Americans, and diesel, which I think is the same no matter where you go. And if you can come up with a sustainable alternative that reduces the amount of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and other things being pumped out into the atmosphere, then you are doing the world a favor because those cars aren't going to go away. We're not going to wake up tomorrow with a perfect public transit system so and a perfectly designed city so everyone could walk to their groceries, walk to their local walk to their this, walk to their that, and only get on a train or a plane if they want to go super-duper long distances. That's not going to happen. In the real world, if we have sustainable fuels, and if those sustainable fuels aren't made out of food that people eat, then we can, do an, an, we can make a very big dent in the transportation sector. Um, just want to put it out there. WEC has been running 100% sustainable fuels. 65% reduction in um, greenhouse gases being put out. Uh, Repsol, I know, has delivered to MotoGP their first samples for their clients. And, and F1 has been chosen to be because the internal combustion power unit is central to this sport, chosen to be the laboratory for the fuel suppliers 
to Formula One to get them working on that problem so that we have a sustainable solution that scales up to um, to society level, not just Formula One level. Yeah, I think the the license for for Formula E for their exclusivity or whatever it is to to run electric is what to like twenty thirty twenty thirty five. I can't remember the year. You know, I, it's I don't know if it was extended, but anyway, the point is is that you know what do F one consider for the future? Because the way I always saw Formula One was oh look at Kurs in two thousand and nine when it was raced, and they were testing that as early as you know a year or two or a couple of years before that, and it's like that concept was great. Now it's made its way onto real cars, you know, and about five, 10 years later. So they, they need to pick up a way that this sport can also still be relatable to the motoring world. You know, that, that appeals to people um, at the same whoa, time. Whoa, 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 um, whoa. Your accent needs some clarification there. What world? Appeal to the which world? Motoring world. You genuinely said murdering world. So I don't know if that's your accent or you're just thinking about murder right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go to the instant replay on that after this podcast <laughs> just to make sure. Well, if I did, I... <laughs> no, there's no way I said that. Anyway... <laughs> Um, the, the point just to wrap it up because i think this topic deserves like three podcasts in a row like it's just okay. too long to we can unpack, do a special you know? so, segment yeah yeah but but the, the the whole point is it is you know f1 put this challenge uh put this article out there or whatever or motorsport.com saying look they talked about the sustainable fuel going on and it just raised this sort of argument okay like where does F1 become the innovator now for cars? You know, where if they do find sustainable fuels like WEC is and like these other sort of um uh, motorsport categories are now how do you make that accessible to me to go to the petrol station where i put in petrol or diesel and then put in oh sustainable fuel pump into my car like can that be accessible like i don't know can i take two seconds and answer that yes that is the entire point of this because your car will have an internal combustion engine if you're still going to a petrol pump and so does f1 and already we're we're getting interviews with the um, chemists and the people running this, that they're learning a lot about how ethanol, which is essentially what we're talking about here, interacts with the traditional internal combustion engine model, and they're understanding how to modify it so that you will get the same performance, but you will no longer be burning a substance that has to be pumped from under the ground and releases extra carbon into our environment it'll be part of a circular ecology where everything that you're burning was grown above ground by sucking carbon out of that atmosphere to start with so i think that's where formula one sees itself right now as sort of an innovative laboratory for solving this particular part of the overall larger problem i want to save the planet it's the only planet that has blur records. It's the only planet that has chocolate and IPA. So I'm all in favour of saving the Earth. But I don't know. We don't hear a lot of conversations about sustainable horse riding. We don't agonise over what we feed the horses before a dressage competition. I don't understand why all motor racing has to necessarily reflect road relevance. If, if it does... It can only be due to marketing. I, I've, I'm happy with the conversation. I'm happy if your marketing means that you need your car to reflect your road relevance and your legitimate and, and worthwhile goals of, of doing more sustainable mass transit. However, there will come a point, surely, 
where the sport is a sport where we go, okay, that's fine, but we don't have to hobble the sport to make it do everything that we need in our mass mass transit system. If we are to move to, say, an all-Pegasus form of mass transit, if we discover finally the elixir of Pegasus technology and we're all riding around on winged horses, we will not have to put wings on Formula One cars. So I'm just I just want to do the just the slight voice of reason, which is, yes, save the planet. Stop burning dead dinosaurs. I'm all for stopping the profits of of oil dictating what we do on mass. But but let's look at Formula One as a sport as well. Personally, I think the way to make the sport more sustainable is to have even more sports cars. But people like the Haas boss, like Gunter Steiner, keep sitting there and going, no, if anything, we should only have two teams. But more teams is better, Jules. More teams is better. Yes, Friday pre-qualifying sessions is what we need back in Formula One. Uh, Now, but... In all seriousness, um, uh, I think a narrative that could really gain momentum quick after the dust of uh, the season starting has settled is the discussion about uh, F1 expanding the grid to 11 or 12 teams because new teams could uh, start uh, in Formula 1 as early as 2025. Now, most team principals that have been uh, in the media commenting about this aren't really very welcoming about the whole idea. Uh, no. Like uh, Gunther Steiner, <laughs> yes. he said last week, uh, he's scared that uh, the pie that they have to share is going to get smaller, or if it's not going to get smaller, it's not going to get bigger, and they would have less money. And, you know, if I could use the word anti-disestablishmentarianism, he, <laughs> it kind of reeks uh, <laughs> of it, you know, like, oh, no, I don't want to lose uh, the financial support. But then this week, Zach Brown came out, McLaren's Zach Brown came out, and he was actually in favor. And he said, like, new, new teams, more teams attracts more sponsors, more income. So the, the pie that we're sharing is just going to get bigger. And I thought that was a really fresh approach uh, and nice to hear from uh, from one of the team bosses because I think a lot of Formula One fans would welcome yes, more competition. Would, yes, you know? of course. Uh, and not only more competition, but more stables of cars as well. Because remember, four cars are basically on the same stable. And you, you always feel like Williams are kind of flirting with b-team status with mercedes although you know they'd never go the that full way and and haas and alpha romeo definitely feel like they are in the pocket or at least very friendly with ferrari so we've only really got kind of three or four if you let's do you know what let's be inclusive let's include alpine you've only got kind of like really four stables of formula one car jewels and i think the the privateer era is dead like it, it it really doesn't exist anymore because everyone is latched onto to one of those four works teams. Yeah, and and I think that's a real shame because you you can wonder what's the point of a team like Alpha Alpha Tori. Do, do, is this even like in 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 sportsmanship's uh, thinking? Do you even want this uh, a B team like that? You know, um, so I think. The, the Andretti plan, for instance, they sound legit and they sound uh, genuine. You know, they like they don't need to link up with an existing team. It sounds like they can do this on their own, and I think it, it will be it will be really good because 
you, you kind of get the feeling now that Formula One is a grid where you can relegate. So it doesn't really matter how yeah, bad yeah. you do. You Franchise. Know, you just, oh, let's move on to the next year because we're just going to be here anyways. And, you know, it needs to be spiced up and mixed up and some 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 new faces. Johnny. I, Andretti would be fun. I think a potential Honda return would be fun. Uh, they did win the 2009 World Championship. Oops. Sorry, Braun won that with Honda's cars. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Um, but they, they've got potential. They're really quick. Um, that would be great. I think having a big grid, uh, the, the F1's been due an expansion for a while. They tried doing it in 2010. Um, Toyota pulled out. They're supposed to have, what, 26 cars that year. And then ended up Toyota pulled out at 24. And then the three new teams don't even exist anymore. But um, yeah, we do need more cars in the grid. And then what that does allow is more talent on the grid. Now we don't go, oh, poor Daniel Ricciardo, poor Mick Schumacher, poor these guys who can't race. They can race yeah. because there's four yeah. extra seats on the grid. Yeah, man. That's it, Matt. More is always better. If I've learned anything from having an American co-host, is you always have more for longer, take big breaks. NFL lasts four and a half hours. Bigger is better. Space between everything. Let's have 30 cars. Yeah, why not? Because after all, we have loads of junior drivers we'd like to see. And it, we have seen that the uh, customer teams have made progress. The midfield actually is often the most interesting thing to cover. So how could it be worse <laughs> if we had more teams well the only way it could be worse is if you were a current f1 team owner and you think the <laughs> amount of growth you're going to see is going to cut into the profits you expected if you didn't add teams and this is just a glass half full glass half empty glass not designed correctly to specification kind of argument jules sagers uh, it's a good topic uh final word from you how many teams on the grid pick you pick you're in charge 13 yes absolutely agree jules 13 cars sounds about right we will have to lose monaco unfortunately that's not me saying that that is jules inferring <laughs> that from from his comment jules jules sagers f1 no just jules sagers on twitter yep uh, link in the show notes below double e uh, you tweet in in english which is good thank you uh, because I, I'm probably not going to learn Dutch anytime soon, especially given that the language doesn't account for vast swathes of racing terms. Excellent. Make sure you go and follow our crew, uh, Jonathan Simon, when he is an international pop sensation like Margot Robbie, and he's there <laughs> in Hollywood because he's a, he's a tall drink of water, is that, Jono? Uh, you'll say you heard him first on some Muggy Shed podcast, so go and follow him. Go and follow Matt to Rumpets and... Should we still buy your wife's books to read or to give as gifts? Maybe we could include a link in those show notes, Matt. I think we can. And yes, please, by all means, do that. The more of her books you buy, the less actual work I have to do. Mm, no one likes working and it's no work to follow anyone because the links are right there in all the show notes for you. Follow me as well. I'm the best one, Richard Reddy, but I'm Richard Reddy on Facebook, Spanners Ready on, on Twitter. Give me a follow. It's the start of the F1 season. My DMs are always open. And you can email me and Matt using the email address feedback at mistapex.net. We'd love to hear from you. Until we see you next, there's going to be lots of shows. So you're going to see us a lot over the next few weeks as we launch into an exciting new Formula One season. And we are going to do a DTS and Netflix Drive to Survive 
segment as well not not a review but we will do a segment based on that we're going to catch up with an f1 very recent f1 f uh, strategist we're going to catch up with one of the top upcoming names in f1 media i'm very excited there is going to be a lot of content on missed apex podcast please tell your friends that missed apex is a place to go to consume some f1 stuff until we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.